Welcome to the Bleasai Podcast, brought to you by Cambridge University Science Magazine. I'm Ruby. And I'm Shimone. Every two weeks, we speak to local researchers, university staff and students, and anyone who works in science to learn about their research and activities, hear about the work that they do, and uncover what goes on behind the scenes. If you want to get in touch with a question, suggestion, or just want to be featured on the podcast, just drop us a tweet. Um, our handle is at BlueSciPod. And you can also email us at BlueSciPodcast at gmail.com. Our guest this week is Professor Andrea Armani, who is a professor of chemical engineering and material science at the University of Southern California. Her area of interest is photonics, which focuses on properties and transmissions of photons. We had such a great time chatting to Professor Armani that became a really long interview. Yeah, so because of that, we've actually split the interview into two parts for you to enjoy. Uh, the first part is one where we speak to Professor Armani about her research, the importance of interdisciplinary approaches, and making decisions about academic careers. Uh, the second part, which is our next episode, is about the Photonics Online Meetup, which was a virtual conference with over a thousand attendees that was held in January this year. So be sure to check out that one next. Thanks for joining us today. Do you want to maybe introduce yourself to our listeners and the kind of work that you do? Um, so my name is uh, Professor Andrea Armani. I'm a professor of chemical engineering and material science at the University of Southern California. And my research kind of spans actually a lot of different fields. Uh, so it combines making new materials, so a little bit of chemistry, material science, um, using them to make new types of optical devices. Uh, kind of a classic example is lasers. And then using those to actually do diagnostics or we're beginning to get into making imaging agents for uh, understanding cell and tissue behavior. Um, so a little bit of biology too. Um, so we, we've kind of dabbled in, in a lot of different areas, kind of combining uh, all the different fields in the group. That's really cool. Right. Yeah. Do you wanna... <laughs> yeah. So I, it's always hard to know, like, who's going to speak next when you can't see anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I know that's really interesting. And, and especially the interdisciplinary aspect of the research, I think, is quite cool, especially because you get to apply and, and look at new physics to develop these new devices, but then that aren't just applied in, in physical areas, but using them for healthcare and so on. Um, so I guess you must have a lot of contact with a lot of different departments and different groups that work on all those different expertises. So we do. We, we collaborate with a lot of different groups. We particularly collaborate with the medical school at USC uh, because that, you know, allows us to, you know, not only make something, but really translate it in and see practitioners use it. Um, it also kind of creates this like closed feedback loop. Um, so a lot of times we'll start off a discussion with medical you know, practitioners and clinicians to find out what their problems are, um, and then you know, go, go back to our lab um, and try to develop a solution and then return to them, um, you know, either mid-development, mid-research, or you know, clearly at the end uh, to make sure that what we developed actually meets their needs. Um, and that's actually one thing that's you know, happened in the last week. Um, so we developed a UV uh, system to help clean PPE for the hospital at USC. Um, you know, and that does combine all of our optics knowledge, um, but also you know, we did it in collaboration with the infection prevention team at the hospital. Um, so it was very much a collaborative effort. 
because um, it was something we'd never really worked in before, but it at least built on our skill set. Mm-hmm. That's great that you're, you've kind of got those uh, sort of interdisciplinary contacts. And it's amazing that you've managed to apply that so quickly, especially in this crazy new situation that we're in. Um, and how do you how do you find like uh, the contact between more the biology and medicine side um, versus your side of it? Is it quite easy to sort of exchange ideas or or do you have to kind of think of the science behind it and then repackage it in a way that everyone's going to understand? Is it a challenge? So, so I describe uh, all the different fields as basically just different languages. Um, so, you know, science and engineering, um, you know, they're all math, um, but you have to figure out a way to understand what everybody is saying. Um, so I was very fortunate during my PhD, I took a lot of biology classes. So I've figured out, um, you know, how to understand what the biologists are saying and then translate um, so that all of the electrical engineers in my group can, you know, understand. Uh, so, you know, they can understand that a cell acts like a circuit. Um, yeah. But I also have, you know, a lot of biomedical engineers in my group. So then, you know, I can give the, you know, 30,000 foot overview of the system and give them kind of that, you know, the equivalent of, you know, where's the bathroom when you're learning a new language. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the BMEs can really like dig into it and, and teach them all the nuances of the system um, and spend a lot of time collaborating. So just within my group, um, I actually have chemists and physicists and biomedical engineers and electrical engineers um, and material scientists. And um, so everybody and everybody sits together. Um, so I don't have different student offices in different buildings on two different campuses. Everyone's co-located and mixed up. Um, so it really creates a tight knit, uh, collaborative group, which also helps break down a lot of those barriers. Yeah. Your lab meetings must be really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) They they are. Um, and every summer we actually change the format of the lab meeting. So instead of discussing our research, we actually take a step back and the more senior lab members, so like the fourth and fifth year PhD students and the postdocs will give tutorials. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'll give like a two hour tutorial on like, you know, the basics of biology or the basics of organic chemistry um, or the basics of optics um, so that the biologists can learn about Snell's law um, or the uh, electrical engineers can learn about azide alkyne reactions and epoxides. Um, so they're very basic concepts if you're in the field, but if you're not in the field, mm-hmm. you will, yeah, this is like a foreign language. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so to try to get like everybody on the same page about the key concepts that our lab uses uh, to enable those types of collaborations. So we do those tutorials every summer. Um, and, and that's worked really well. Yeah, I can imagine because often the main barrier that you have to collaborating with someone is knowing precisely what it is that you can help each other with. And if you can't express that, then it's really difficult. You end up going in all these circles and then at the end you're like, oh, we could have just done this on day one if we just knew what we needed. Um, yes. So that's or, quite... or even, yeah, even just knowing it exists, mm-hmm. right? A, a lot of times it's just even knowing something is available um, and mm-hmm. that can just be a huge barrier which is another reason why the tutorials are really helpful because you just learn that things 
you know, exist, that some sort of, you know, molecule is in existence, and that can be a huge enabler. And how does that, how has that affected perhaps the kind of direction that your, your lab goes in? Like, obviously, the work is very interdisciplinary, but have there been situations where someone's been working on something that is not really in the field that they're working in, and therefore having that different perspective and asking different questions to what someone else might have asked has led to projects that, you know, maybe weren't expected, but like then end up happening. I, I would say how it's helped is a lot of times a first year, first year PhD student or an undergrad will, you know, be in the group in their first year. Um, they view their field as their security blanket and, and they don't want to, you know, they're excited about the research that everyone else in the group is doing, but they're afraid of doing research in a field that's not their own field. Right, because you you know your own field, and so you feel very comfortable in your own field. And the idea of doing something not in that area seems very intimidating. Um, and by having the tutorials, it gives uh, you know a, a given student kind of that knowledge, that that base information to have the you know courage to actually make that leap. Um, and so it's it's enabled the students to move out of their comfort zone. And to pursue projects that are very different from their you know, base baseline skill set, um, and just in the process of doing that, they've come up with some really creative ideas. Um, so it's it's more been like an enabling tool, um, and it's really allowed all the students to grow intellectually in unique direction. Yeah, I can imagine it also helps you problem solve in different ways because uh, my brother's a physicist and I'm a biologist, and sometimes if I come to him with you know something I'm struggling with at work like he'll just see it a completely different angle I think some of the problem solving in different areas of science are so different and it is so nice to be able to sort of share those kind of even the sort of broader taking a step back problem solving skills um so yeah that sounds like a great mix of people to get together yeah, no, exactly. Like the, the problem solving can be really invaluable. Like a lot of the um, analytical methods, uh, you know, like the you know, using Python code to analyze images, um, mm -hmm. it comes naturally, you know, in some fields and in other fields, the idea of, you know, coding to automate your analysis seems like that would be such an impossible feat. What, how would you do that? How would you even approach doing that? And in engineering, it's like, of course you're gonna do that. Why would you spend all your time manually analyzing something? Uh, so it's, it can be very uh, enlightening. Uh, whereas for the engineers, the idea of an antibody is this like foreign thing that they don't know what it is. Uh, and just like the naming of antibodies, you know, having like a goat, anti-mouse, anti-human, like it's confusing. Yeah, um, so, so having someone to translate the language can be really helpful. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I saw antibody labeling, I was like, if it's anti-goat, does that mean it doesn't like goats? Like, <laughs> like, I guess it's a bit like anti-particles and so on in physics. Like sometimes you just come up with weird names for things. And then you're like, how does it, do they cancel out? Like what's happening here? <laughs> right. I was like, why, why wouldn't the antibody not like a goat? Like how does it know that it, like, is it going to kill the, like I, I couldn't understand like why it was an, an anti-goat. Um, and how, how is it like a human anti-goat? I was just, I was very confused. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. It even still confuses me. So. <laughs> And, and that's so simple, right? It's yeah. it's like a 30-second explanation. Mm -hmm. But I guess yeah. it's putting the people together that know how to talk about those things and, and also not being afraid to ask um, and right. giving and, everyone and a platform that... to make those mistakes, yeah, or, like, ask any question, really. Yeah. yeah, and it's creating an environment where you aren't afraid to, you know, ask a silly question because you know that the person you're asking is, you know, just going to come right back at you and ask, you know, an equally, mm -hmm. you know, like, low-level question, uh, which is really important just to have that environment and create it. So I guess, would you cons would you uh, recommend to people that are considering doing PhDs in different fields or maybe, like, master's students or graduate students in general to look for those kinds of, not necessarily groups, but to look at projects where they can interact with people from different fields, even if it is something very, um, like, fundamental, like, if they're working on a project that's very fundamentally, let's say, biology, to try to seek opportunities to interact with other people. So I, I think, you know, one of the main goals of a PhD should be to push yourself intellectually, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's one of the, the reasons to get a PhD, um, is to try to learn something new. Uh, if you're just going to learn what's in the textbooks, like there are textbooks. Mm -hmm. um, and you're the, the best way to push yourself intellectually is to push yourself in a new area. Um, but if you try to do that in a group where there isn't a good support system, then you're just going to be frustrated and kind of demoralized. Um, so it's important to find a place where you can, you know, really stretch your brain, um, but also have you know, a support system when you begin to, you know, need it. Mm -hmm. I mean, a PhD is like any job, you know, like if it's a good working environment, then you'll thrive. Um, so in terms, in terms of your lab, um, sort of, despite being very interdisciplinary, it sort of has a, from my understanding, has quite a sort of, uh, focuses on an area called photonics. Um, would you be able to give like a layperson's summary of mm -hmm. what, what is photonics? Yep. Um, so most people are familiar with electronics, um, you know, because they've, they've bought, well, not anymore, but I was going to say DVD players, um, but they bought cell phones, uh, and cell phones are electronic devices, and they're called electronic devices because they move electrons around on the surface. Um, photonics are effectively the same thing. Um, instead of moving electrons, they move photons. Um, and so photonics is a field looking at ways to uh, change how the photons are moved. So either uh, making lasers out of them, um, looking at, you know, making new types of displays, lenses. So, you know, making active lenses. So if you remember the Google glasses, um, mm -hmm. those were an example of a photonic device, um, making flexible cell phones. Um, even on your cell phone, the screen is a photonic device. Um, so there's, there's a whole plethora of, you know, both commercialized photonic devices as well as ones that are still in development. Wow, so loads of different applications for it, like right now and sort of in the future. Yes, it is a, a gigantic field, um, and there are lots of different branches of it. Um, you know, so there's kind of the large-scale photonic community, which are things like um, astronomy, um, so looking at 
um, you know, building gigantic telescopes to study, you know, space and and that actually falls in the larger field of photonics. Um, and then there's also, you know, like quantum computing and trying to make optical quantum computers. Um, and that falls in the general landscape of photonics. Um, and then there's the medical photonics. So making lasers for surgery, um, making sensors for improving uh, how you feel during surgery, and then making diagnostics. And then there's the more biophotonics area, like making portable microscopes. Um, so there's there are a lot of different yeah. applications. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, if you're studying light, then everything that interacts with light, you could use to make some kind of photonic device. So you could do anything, really. <laughs> you could do anything. Thanks for tuning in to part one of our interview with Professor Andrea Armani. Please see our next episode for part two, where we discuss the online conference Professor Armani chaired earlier this year, which was the first of its kind and likely to be the first of many throughout the scientific community worldwide. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at BlueSidePod. And also you can email us on BlueSidePodcast at gmail.com. And subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>